Thank you, Matt. And I do want to add my welcome to you all. My name is Greg Dernberger. For those of you that I have not met, I'm the senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, and it is our joy to have you worshiping with us today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices to the book of Exodus. It's easy to find. It's the second book in the Bible. And I want to invite you to turn there because today we are launching out into a, a new sermon series that's going to take us through the book of Exodus. And it's a series that we have subtitled, You Shall Know That I Am the Lord. And before we give our attention today to the book of Exodus, I'll explain why we have chosen to focus on this particular book at this particular time. First reason is a rather mundane reason, perhaps. It's just a matter of a balanced biblical diet. For the greater part of the past two years, we've been meditating on and digesting the contents of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, and what a majestic meal that has been. But as elders who would be faithful to our God-given task, our aim is to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It is our conviction that the whole Bible is God's word. The whole Bible from cover to cover, Old Testament and New Testament with all of its literary styles, history, narrative, poetry, prophecy, letters, All of it was written for our instruction and edification. Everything in this book was inspired by God and recorded so that we might hope in God. So we've been feeding mainly in the pasture of the New Testament. It's time to go back to the pasture of the Old Testament and we're going to spend some time there. But but it's not merely a decision to just, you know, jump back and forth between Old Testament, New Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. Our aim is nothing less than hearts set on fire for the gospel of the person and work of Jesus. Our priority is gospel-centered doctrine and preaching. Nine years ago, Emmaus Road Church was not merely kind of a cool name for some of us that we came up with for our new church. The name Emmaus Road was intended to inspire and to inform our entire approach to ministry. Because it was on that seven-mile stretch from Jerusalem on down to a village called Emmaus that Jesus came alongside two broken people. They were broken because they had been traumatized, I guess you would say, by the unanticipated and bloody execution of the one whom they had hoped would fix their messed up world. And instead, because of Jesus' death on the cross, they were left 
lost in a fog of disequilibrium and soul-crushing discouragement. And into their crisis of faith, Jesus meets them. And beginning, according to the text of Luke 24, beginning with Moses. That is, beginning with Genesis and Exodus and the rest of the five books Moses wrote, along with the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explains how all of it points to and is fulfilled in him. Jesus shows, these, shows how these books, including the book of Exodus, reveal the necessity of a pure and holy sacrifice. A sacrifice of infinite value who alone could redeem broken people and make them right with God. So loved ones, the, the things that that Jesus explained from the Old Testament on the road to Emmaus changed those people's lives. They may have begun their walk to Emmaus downcast and depressed, but by the time Jesus left them, their hearts were burning with hopefulness. They began listening to Jesus' exposition of Moses' writings, including Exodus, weakened and weary and worn. But by the time the Holy Spirit had opened their eyes to recognize the risen Lord, that fog was gone. And they were inspired to run. It's like about a 10K back up that mountain in the middle of the night because they could not wait to tell what they had just seen and heard. And I am praying, and I invite you to join me in praying for that kind of transformation. Spirit-inspired joy. Spirit-empowered witness. Yes, witness. Mission was Jesus' aim in lighting a fire in the hearts of those disciples on the Emmaus Road. And listen, the the, the mission of God, God's aim in and through the book of Exodus is mission. 17 times in this book, Moses writes in some former variation of these words of God, you shall know that I am the Lord. You, you shall know That I am the Lord. I am the Lord, says the Lord. And there is no other. You see, God's passion and God's purpose is to be known. And what could possibly be greater than knowing the all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, immortal, unchanging, merciful, infinitely glorious maker of and Lord over everything. Everything in the galaxies above and everything on this earth below. Being known and enjoyed is God's passion and purpose. And so he repeats again and again and again and again. You shall know that I am the Lord. Do we not live in a world Where that phrase is contested like no other. 
The world we live in is one where the modern self delivers triumphant authority over to its inner feelings and declares, I am the Lord. I will be what I please. I will identify myself as I see fit. I will realize my humanity my way. My passion is to be known for who I am. I am who I am. I am Lord. And into that cultural context, God speaks to Moses and through Moses. And he says, this is who I am. And you shall have no other gods before me. To people oppressed and enslaved to sin. God speaks to Moses and through Moses and says, I'll bring you out by my mighty hand. And to a people who have forsaken their maker. To a people who have strayed from the one they know. Strayed from their deliverer. God speaks to Moses and through Moses and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This you shall know. Loved ones, this we shall know. Because God's passion and purpose is to be known as He is. God's aim is to be trusted and praised for all that He has revealed Himself to be until all the earth is filled with the knowledge of His glory and uncontestable greatness. So I believe that we can be certain that according to God's purpose and promise, before we're done with this, we shall know that he alone is the Lord. That's why the book of Exodus at this time. So, let's get started. <laughs> the journey begins in Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand. It's an expression of our regard for the Lord and his word. Hear God address us through his servant, Moses. Moses writes, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then Joseph died, 
and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. This is God's word. And may he bless the preaching of the word and the hearing of his word and by his empowering grace produce joyful obedience to his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In a world where to many you are unknown, we do thank you, God, that there is a revelation of you, that you have communicated yourself. And what you have communicated is that it is your passionate and divine desire and purpose to be known and to be praised. So Lord, when we, when we live and move and have being in a broken world, we, we can be tempted. We can have questions. Why don't you just speak up? Why don't you just do powerful things? Again, like you did today. Lord, you are infinitely wise. And your ways are beyond our ways. And we pray that today, by the working of your spirit, you might communicate to us in a way that we would know. We would know that you're a faithful God, faithful to accomplishing all that you have purposed to do, faithful to do all that you have promised to do, and assure us and strengthen our hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the opening words of, of his commentary on the book of Exodus, Philip Ryken, Philip Ryken is, I think he is still the president of Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. Philip Ryken writes, Exodus is an epic tale of fire, sand, wind, and water. The adventure takes place under the hot desert sun, just beyond the shadow of the great pyramids. And there are two mighty nations, Israel and Egypt, led by two great men, Moses the liberating hero and Pharaoh the enslaving villain. Almost every scene is a masterpiece. Just imagine these things. The baby in the basket the burning bush, the river of blood, and the other plagues, the angel of death, 
the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, water running from the rock, the thunder and lightning on the mountain, the Ten Commandments, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, the golden calf, the glory in the tabernacle. You could just see Charlton Heston, right? <laughs> Once heard, the story is never forgotten. For the Jews, it is the story that defines their very existence, the rescue that made them God's people. For Christians, it is the gospel of the Old Testament, God's first great act of redemption. Boom! If that doesn't whet your appetite for what awaits the reader of this book, I don't know what else could. Well, Spielberg, you know, a prince of Egypt or whatever it was called, I suppose. But, but the opening sentence, the opening sentences of Exodus chapter 1 could hardly fail more dramatically in capturing our imagination. I mean, if the grand objective of this book is to communicate who God is and put on display his most awesome act of rescue and redemption, then the first paragraph, I mean, it's not just a little disappointing, right? In fact, God doesn't even say a word. He didn't make a peep until chapter 3, verse 2. But for the first readers of this ancient text, the original audience for whom Moses wrote this book, these opening sentences would have been immediately arresting. One expositor writes, they are bursting, these opening words, they are bursting with assurance and hope. Bursting with assurance and hope. What is it about a list of dead people that is bursting with assurance and hope? And to answer that, we need to know something about the people to whom Moses was writing. Scholars agree that Moses addressed this book, along with the other four books of the so-called Pentateuch, to the second generation of Israelites after the exodus out of Egypt. So the, the, the first generation was delivered from their Egyptian slavery in dramatic fashion, accompanied by plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. The first generation received the Ten Commandments from God on this fiery mountain of Sinai. But on account of their sinful unbelief in God's ability to deliver them all the way into the promised land that entire generation, the entire generation that was delivered out of Egypt, died in the wilderness. According to Numbers 14.22, God says, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test and have not obeyed my voice, 
shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of these who have despised me shall see it. In other words, the original audience to read the book of Exodus was a generation that had not experienced the plagues, had not experienced the angel of death and the Passover. They had not experienced the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. And an entire generation had not seen the glory of God as he had been on display in the Exodus. It was an entire generation that did not know the Lord. It was an entire generation that knew nothing except a life of wandering around in the desert, in a wilderness, a life of unsettledness, a life in between what had been and what was not yet. Some of you, I know, have recently, maybe in the last months, last year or so, have moved from other states, other cities, and have relocated here in Sioux Falls. You left things that were familiar, homes, neighborhoods, old hangouts, coffee shops, relationships. You left relationships that defined you, and the communities where there were people who knew your name and you knew their names. And then you arrive in a new community, in a new neighborhood, and it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time to get situated. It takes time for relationships to be established and, and to find, I mean, just find a mechanic that you can trust. Or a dentist, or a doctor, or most importantly, you know, a barista who remembers you and your favorite drink. And, and there can be this measure of sadness because what used to be is no more. And what will eventually be is not yet. But now imagine. There is no used to be. And there still isn't a not yet. All you know is the in-between. And with no past and no future, then who are you? What is your story? Where do you locate yourself? And how did you get to where you are? And is there actually a place or a future for you. Loved ones, Moses wrote the book of Exodus for the purpose of explaining to an entire generation the fate of the prior generation. He, he wrote the book of Exodus to explain what went right and what went wrong. Moses wrote the book of Exodus to communicate why their generation 
is where they are and why they aren't where they eventually will be. And therefore, by, by tracing their line and their lineage through this brief genealogy in the first few verses of Exodus 1, Moses is reminding an entire generation of who they are and where they've come from. And more importantly, Moses, Moses is calling attention, calling their attention to who God is. Moses' aim is to let this generation know the Lord. And in these first seven verses, Moses shows that he shows that God is faithful. He shows that God is faithful. God is faithful to his people. God is faithful to his purpose. And God is faithful to his promise. And let's not miss it. This is a word for us as well. Loved ones, our God is faithful to his people and to his purpose and to his promise. And Moses conveys this truth by reminding us that the book of Exodus is it's a continuation of a story that began in the book of Genesis. That is, Exodus is a sequel. I had to dust off a little Hebrew for this, but it is helpful to know that the very last word of the book of Genesis is the word Egypt. And the very first word in the book of Exodus is the word and. In other words, the readers of this book, the book of Exodus, are meant to assume the unfolding of a continuing story. One commentator rightly observes that the book of Exodus is not a new story, it is a new chapter in an older story. And therefore, the names of the people in Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, these are not forgotten people. These are not people who, they have no further relevance. You know, they're dead, they're gone, who cares? The opening verses of Exodus refer back to chapter 1 in the story. And the original audience of the book of Exodus would have been uninformed regarding their lineage and history, like many today. There are so many today who've been living in a cultural context where familiarity with the history of God and his redeeming works are unknown. They were unknown to them. They're unknown to so many today. Perhaps you have friends. Perhaps you have family, neighbors who know nothing about God. Nothing. They know nothing about who God is or what God has done. One of my sons was telling me this last week about this sports talk radio show, Local, so we won't mention names, but he's listening to this, and, and, and there, there's this interview with this well-known college football coach who's expressing his indecision regarding which of his two 
quarterback options he's going to go with. And since he couldn't decide, he, he commented that he was going to need the wisdom of Solomon. And, and, and the sports talk hosts, they're like thrown off by the coach's comment. What is a Solomon? And right on the air, they did a Google search of Solomon quarterbacks. And you can imagine their confusion and consternation when the search engine takes them to a reference of a king who threatened to cut an infant in two with a sword. What does this have to do with quarterbacks? They had no idea who Solomon was. Like many of your neighbors and co-workers or classmates today, the original readers of Exodus needed to be reintroduced to, to God's historic and redemptive purpose and power. They needed to be reintroduced to their, to their own family history. <laughs> they needed to be reintroduced to God himself. But not only are the names mentioned in these opening verses of great significance, there's a, a significant little phrase. It's so incidental we could almost miss it. Look at verse 1 again. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt, and then he gives their names. And then verse 5, this, this is the little phrase. Joseph was already in Egypt. So here Moses is informing his original readers of something very important, very significant. He's, he's informing them as to how their parents' generation had gotten to Egypt in the first place. In other words, before the story of the Exodus out of Egypt is going to make any sense to someone. They needed to understand how and why their ancestors had gotten into Egypt in the first place. <laughs> and so Moses reminds them. It was Joseph. Joseph was the first to enter Egypt. And, and then it all happened. It, you, you, you remember, we, we preached through those, that passage in Genesis. It all happened according to God's remarkable providence as this favorite son of his father Jacob. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Not account of their sinful envy and their jealousy. They throw him into a pit and they, they lie and they say that he was killed by an animal. And then they take it even further, a step further, and they make money off of him by trafficking him as a slave by which he's taken into Egypt. And again, all according to God's providence, Joseph, he rises to a position of power, unbelievable power. He becomes a man of un unbelievable influence. And in a season, like a like years-long season of intense famine, Joseph is able to provide for his father and provide for his brothers as they all made the transition into Egypt. <laughs> and Moses just, he just so skillfully ties this whole 
narrative together recounting how the 12 sons of Jacob arrived in Egypt while also, this is crucial, while also connecting them to the previous patriarchs such as Abraham and Isaac and most importantly, which we'll see in a moment, the promises, the promises that God had made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. For now, for now, it's the names that matter. All the names matter, and that's because those names communicate to the readers then and communicate to us today the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful. They shall know. We shall know. All the earth shall know the Lord who is faithful. Our God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. Know it. Believe it. Entrust yourself to it. Loved ones, these names all matter because because God's people matter to him. These people listed here, they matter to God. Moses' first readers matter to God. You matter to God. They matter to God because they're His people. What do we know about these people who matter matter so much to God? Well, we know there were 70 of them. Verse 5 again, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. And if we know about book 1, we know they had a pretty... Sad, checkered, dysfunctional family history. Philip Ryken again writes, The twelve sons of Israel were never likely to become epic heroes. <laughs> you think? They're, they were not especially bright. Their family history was a sordid tale of treachery, philandering, and violence. Joseph and his brothers really had just one thing going for them, and that was their God. The best thing about these guys, it was their God. The God whose passion and purpose is to be known, known as faithful. The God of the everlasting covenant who turned who turned what they in their their brokenness and dysfunction and sin intended for evil, he turned for good. And loved ones, this is the same God who reveals himself throughout the book of Exodus. He turns, he turns sinful intentions into good. And it's because he is the Lord. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That includes 
your and my iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's their God. So our God, faithful to His people. But there's more. Our God is faithful to His purpose. Listen, this is so important. The, the people who matter to God, the people to whom Moses introduces us in Exodus 1, 1 through 5, are, are, they're, they're not shining examples of respectable character. We're not, we're not going to find any candidates for the National Honor Society in this list. But they, they do bear... an embarrassingly remarkable resemblance to us. And like us, those first readers of this book would be hearing these first few verses and they would realize, oh man, right off the bat, that they were included. They were included in the miraculous and undeserved and redemptive plan and purpose of God. A plan purposed all the way back and recorded in Genesis 1.27, where Moses writes, And so God created. God created man in his image, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, is God's purpose in making them, making them in his image, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? The image of God. God's purpose from the beginning was to fill the earth with His image. Through people, male and female, created in His image. Genesis 1.28 sounds kind of like Exodus 1.7, doesn't it? But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. You think God wants us to know that He's not only faithful to His people. He is faithful to His purpose. It will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled because God is also faithful to his promise. Back in book one, Moses records God's promise to Abraham and his descendants. Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, Abraham, look toward heaven and, then, and number the stars. So shall your offspring be. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. Charles Spurgeon used to love to say, oh, the shalls and the wills of God. <laughs> There's a lot of shalls and wills there, isn't there? 
And then in Exodus chapter 1, Moses reminds his readers that the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is being fulfilled. It is being fulfilled in a very specific way. Even though only 70 people entered into Egypt, according to verse 7, look at it again. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. I mean, like, it's like looking up in the sky at night and seeing gazillions of stars. You see how Moses, just, he's just piling one phrase onto another phrase after another phrase describing the blessing on the Israelites. They're fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied. They grew exceedingly strong. Oh, and did I mention the land was filled with them? <laughs> clearly, clearly we are meant to see. This is way more than just a kind of a, a spike in your average birth rate. This is a miracle. It's a miracle. And it is a reverberation of Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 15.5. And Moses means for us... To see that it is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So don't lose heart, O people, whose lot it seems to be. To just be kind of like wandering around in the land in between. Our God is faithful. When you're tempted to think hard thoughts about your brokenness and your dysfunctions, failings. I always say everybody's normal to get to know them. You know, it, it's, it's, remember God is faithful to his people. And when you're tempted to think, oh man, I just messed up this life so bad in my family's lives, the next generation, they, they got nothing to look forward to. I am so royally, I'm so stuck in this cycle forever and ever. Remember, God is faithful to accomplish his purpose. And don't lose heart because God seems to be silent. He hasn't even spoken yet. Don't lose heart because his presence and power seem like something in the past. Our God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And we're going to see... We're going to see all that was left for Moses' original readers was that land. That land, a land to call their own. But in order to enter that land, their parents would have to leave Egypt. And the, the, the thought of the fulfillment of that promise, it, it, just the thought of it begins on such an ominous note in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. But that's God's way. And we're going to look at that next week, but... Remember that the most dark and ominous moment in all history happened on a hill called Calvary. And it was there that God, the God of promises fulfilled, the God who had taken on human flesh and bore our cross of sin and shame, he endured the agony we deserve so that today we might bear his name and be his people and enjoy confidence in his purpose and promises fulfilled and exult in him as our God. Let's pray.
Father, I want to pray for those um, here today in particular who, um, man, they just, uh, life just feels like some wandering around in the wilderness, so unsettled, so unclear, so unclear about what you're doing, where they fit, where they belong. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you assure your sons and daughters that you have made your own through the death of your Son. Assure them of your steadfast love and faithfulness, your forgiveness of their iniquity and transgression and sin. Encourage them today with hope that your purposes will not be thwarted, but for them there is a hope and a future. And you will fulfill every promise that you have made. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.